Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Thank you, Billy, and welcome to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. Thank you for being with us today. A special Road to Rural Prosperity today as we bring in two of the experts when it comes to our livestock industries in the state of Oklahoma. Our two largest livestock industries in the state, the beef cattle industry and the pork industry, under tremendous pressure because of the coronavirus pandemic panic of 2020. Roy Lee Lindsay joining us today from OK Pork. He's the executive director of the Oklahoma Pork Council, has been in that role since 1998. He's seen a lot of ups and downs in the pork industry since he took the reins of OK Pork, but probably nothing like this for sure. Our other guests, Michael Kelsey, executive vice president of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. He's been in that role as top hired hand of OCA since 2013. Among some of the other roles that he's been involved with within the cattle industry, the executive director of the Oklahoma Beef Council before he left to go to Nebraska for a few years as the executive director of the Nebraska Cattlemen's Association. And then he came back to OCA, as we mentioned, in 2013. Today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast being powered by Bank First, loyal to Oklahoma, loyal to you. We're back with Michael and with Roy Lee here in just a few moments. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, Call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. Headquartered in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Public School Resource Center envisions a quality public education for every child in Oklahoma, and their mission is to drive transformation and increased academic achievement within Oklahoma's public education system. The Resource Center is a nonprofit organization that provides essential resources, professional development, and technical assistance to the state's public schools. They advocate for high-quality instruction for all Oklahoma students and support increasing classroom innovation to provide them a challenging, globally competitive education. Howdy, neighbors, and welcome back to The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. Thank you for being along with us today, and we are very happy on this uh, on this particular episode of The Road to have uh, a couple of gentlemen that have been with us before on this podcast series, uh, but uh, we're back in a whole different world now. It's changed so much since the last time we, we even talked to Michael not that long ago, but but yet uh, it is it has, again, changed dynamically and, and dramatically uh, 
as far as this uh, uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic panic, if you want to call it that, whatever you want to say say about it. With us today, we've got Roy Lee Lindsay, Executive Director of the Oklahoma Pork Council, and uh, Michael uh, Kelsey with this, uh, the Executive Vice President of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, both Oklahoma natives, both uh, have been in the the industry for a lot of years. You know what? What are you hearing right now? What what is what's out there that uh, strikes you right now that makes us so different? I well, first of all, it, it, Ron, thank you for having us, and and it's I think it's great to be good friends with with Roy Lee and and be here because we're all in this together, and and I think what we're going to find out as we talk and as we go along that uh, yeah, we we compete for the the plate, if you will, uh, when it comes to dinner time. But from a from an economic standpoint, from an Oklahoma standpoint, we're in this together, and and I, this, I've never seen anything like this. I I, I, yep. I mean, oil's at negative dollars trading on the futures market. Uh, we have more cattle than we can process. Uh, plants are shuttering, uh, and and really, really affecting you guys a little harder than it is us right now. But we're right behind you. I'm convinced yep. we're right behind you. So, uh, yeah, I. I don't know what to say about this. This is a unique challenges, Roy Lee. I, yeah, think. I, I, I agree, and, and I'll, I'll echo what Michael said. It has been um, one of the things that I think we're blessed with here in Oklahoma, and I know this is not the case in other states, but we have a really good core group of agricultural organizations in this state that work together. And it allows us to do programming together. It allows us to to work on challenges together, and that makes all of us more effective mm-hmm. as we go through it. And Great. so, uh, greatly appreciate the leadership Michael provides at, at at OCA, the leadership he provides amongst our ag community and and our peers as well, because we've got a lot of great people that w- that we get to work with in that regard. You know, you said this is you don't know what to make of this, and. Um, I, I was I was visiting with my mother not long ago, and and I said, you know, mom, part of the reason we look at this and we go, we don't understand is there's nobody alive really that has any experience with the Spanish flu pandemic of right. 1918. There might be somebody alive from that date, but th- there's nobody that saw it and remembers what it was. Right. Nobody. Right. So there's none of that knowledge, if you will, that you get mm-hmm. from having experienced something before. She actually told me that both of her uh, that both of her grandparents had passed away in that epidemic. Oh, wow. That that her mm. mother's parents both died in that epidemic, wow. and I, which she had never told me before. I, I never knew that until yeah. we were talking about yeah. this this piece. And so we're, we're really in, in, in – there's nothing in history that, that I can find that you go back to and you see this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can find folks that were still alive in the Depression, and they can tell you what the Depression was. You can find folks that were alive in World War II, and they can tell you what we experienced in rationing and in those kinds of things in World War II. But I, in this country, at least, when's the last time you were told to stay at home for the good of the country? I, I mean, I... I for an extended period of time, yeah, and I'm right. not two about, days. I'm not yeah. talking about we've got severe weather coming and you need to stay <laughs> close to the Frady hole. Yeah. I'm talking about, mm-hmm. hey, we're we're today in Oklahoma. The governor announced uh, basically we closed restaurants in Oklahoma City five weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Five weeks ago today, um, and, and so this is not something that any of us have any experience with. That any of us have any. There was no way to prepare for this kind of shock. To the system, and it's not just a shock to um, it's not just a shock to agriculture. It's a shock to the entire 
government. It's a shock to the entire society. You know, you can't go see your friends. I, it's the first time I can remember that my daughter didn't go to Easter Sunday service with my mom. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and we yeah. didn't go to Cordell because there were no church services where you could go sit in the pew with mom and, and, and do that. So um, it's it just something that I don't know how any of us could have planned for it. Um, I think we see now that a lot of the things we do in agriculture, a lot of things we do in business period, in trying to streamline and trying to, to get efficient and trying to manage overhead, trying to manage costs, we take out all this extraneous stuff and it leaves us no ability to adjust to a shock to the system. Right. And no when, you get, when you get something like this, this isn't, hey, somebody stepped on my toe. This is somebody smashed me in the head with a sledgehammer. This is, <laughs> hey, I'm going to get your attention. And, and so way different than, than anything that, that we had any ability to prepare for. I, I know in both cases, but both both you gentlemen. I, I last time I saw you in person uh, was uh, the uh, Oklahoma Youth Expo, I believe. Yep. And, and so I mean, you know, yep. we we were obviously in the process of of tra- treading lightly, realizing that we might not finish OYE. We didn't, mm-hmm. obviously, and we it's 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 you know look at what we knew then. It's unimaginable what's happened since that time. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I can vividly remember my kids, uh, both my daughters show. And so we were at OIE and had my youngest daughter wasn't able to show because the market show and the steer show and my oldest daughter had her heifer. She was blessed to be able to show. But I, I mean, we were talking about talking about that just the other day, even in my own house, how this, just the none of us saw this coming. We, ne- we never would have dreamed mm-hmm. uh, that, that we would have shut restaurants down and that you can't go into restaurants and, and you can't go to church service. You can't. Uh, uh, we, we had a board meeting and uh, in, in our exec committee when it meets. We have to do that all by conference call now, not because it's convenient, but that's the only way we can meet because there's more than 10 of us. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we'd, who would have known that these types of, of changes? And then as we see that that shock, as you mentioned, Roy Lee, from shifting production from food service over to retail, uh, is not something that can be done at the snap of a finger mm-hmm. and uh, really kind of clogs up our system. So a uh, lot of challenges that right. we have as we move forward. Yeah. Now, uh, you, you gentlemen, uh, the, your, the cattlemen, uh, Oklahoma Pork, work together to try to give some expert information to our state lawmakers. You did that via Zoom. Tell, tell yep. me about uh, what, what you learned as far so, as what the lawmakers knew or maybe they didn't know. So as we were uh, – we were having one of the things we've done throughout this throughout this crisis. We do it regularly, but one of the things we've done even more so through here is um, is to sit down a couple of times a week on a on a Zoom call with with us and our peers about what do we need to be telling folks, who do we need to be sharing messaging to, and it dawned on us last week that hey. Uh, we've got a bunch of legislators that don't understand the challenges that are out there either, and and no fault of theirs. Okay, I mean, this yeah. is not. A, I'm not throwing rocks. I, I'm just saying that that our system is so complex. If you're not involved in it, it's hard for you to follow. And so we thought we needed to get information in front of our state legislators so that they could better understand. Uh, the markets, what's happening in, in terms of the value of live animals and the demand for live animals, what's happening in the demand for meat and and how meat's being moved, how we how we put meat into the food system, et cetera. And so we put together a, a, 
a webinar or a Zoom call with them and, and Dr. Daryl Peel from Oklahoma State. And Dr. Peel's been a, an absolute rock star through this mm-hmm. piece. You bet. Um, there's nobody in the country that understands the cattle markets and what's happening better than Dr. Peel. And that bleeds out into the other other livestock areas as well, because you got to follow them to understand That's how right. they impact what's happening with cattle. And so we had the opportunity yesterday to, to get in front of some legislators and Dr. Peel share a little bit. Uh, Michael talk about what's going on in the cattle industry, and I talked about what's happening in pork, and then answer questions from legislators. And we spent about 70 minutes with them, which that's an eternity of time mm-hmm. with a state legislator, mm-hmm. especially what's supposed to be during session, <laughs> but they're not really at the Capitol because right. they're all meeting remotely as well. So it, it was, uh, and it was a, I thought, a, an outstanding program. I was very pleased with what the outcome was, but it was interesting to see what their questions were that they had for us. Yeah, that you know, question, good questions, uh, and again, questions that some of us may go, well, they should somebody they should know that. No, not not really. They're dealing, you know, four four thousand bills introduced at the beginning of the session, covering, mm-hmm. you know, everything under the sun, literally. And so, uh, Royley's right to really kind of dive in and and arm them, if you will, with information. So they when when they get constituent calls, whether it be from a, a cattle or a, a, a farmer saying why or we need to do something there they know a little bit about this and mm-hmm. consumers when a consumer goes in and says hey there was no meat in the meat case do something legislator they can say well here's what i understand what's going on and so we had questions like why don't we have major beef packing in the state of oklahoma that's a great question uh, obviously we would love to have major beef packing but we don't right now so it gave us an opportunity to talk about the challenges of building new uh, meat packing capacity and we'd love to do that but that's something that we have to work on why and then we had to talk about hey we need to keep what packing capacity we do have on and i made this comment yesterday or on this call i'll make it now and this is a cowboy saying this we need to do everything we can to keep that seaboard plant guyman open Amen. everything we can yeah. and 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 i i firmly believe that because if as as we see plants the pressure to close plants whether it's a, a poultry processing or or a tomato processing plant the pressures to to close those are the same uh and and it's local entities local organizations governments that don't understand they, they mean well i thoroughly believe they mean well but mm-hmm. they don't understand the food complexities the delivery the supply systems and we'll start seeing that domino it'll be pork today and it'll be beef tomorrow and and so forth and, that, and that's just not good and so we need to keep those plants so we were able to convey that to them and and ask them to help us do that you know and then also to direct them on the issues that are more federal in in topic if you will uh regarding uh, and, and from the beef side we've got a, a call for an investigation into the price disparity between live cattle and and box beef that's a federal issue what can a state legislator do that other than just call on USDA and, and DOJ, which is what we've done, uh, but call on them to complete that investigation? They can't instant. We don't need an Oklahoma investigation into no. uh, the price disparity. We need a federal investigation. And so so we were able to kind of direct them and educate them on, on that piece of it as well. So I, it was a great call, excellent yeah. call. And probably the most important thing, Ron, and I, I, we should have started with this as we as we got started with the whole conversation. Um, the one question we got, and I was really kind of disappointed in myself that we didn't uh-huh. start with this notion when we when we began talking. To him. 
this is not a food safety issue. Amen. Amen. Okay. We, we, we are so consumed with how this, how this virus affects people mm-hmm. and how it's affecting processing plants. It's not a food safety issue. We're not having processing plants slowed down or closed because of food safety concerns. We're having them slowed down or concerned because we're protecting the health of our employees. Mm-hmm. That's where that challenge comes in is how do you balance the health of your employees and continuing to put meat in the meat case at the supermarket. So in terms of this being, there, there are no issues as this relates to food safety. There are no uh, concerns with eating pork or beef or chicken or any of those kinds of things because there's absolutely no evidence that you get coronavirus from eating food. I mean, that, that, just, that, that doesn't exist mm-hmm. anywhere. Yeah. And so we want to make very clear to everybody, and as I said yesterday, I'm disappointed I didn't get there first thing today, <laughs> and did. I was disappointed yesterday. We did it yesterday. again, really. <laughs> I did it again. No, um, no, 13 we, minutes but, in. The, so, but, we, but, I mean, we had a legislator ask us that question, you know, yeah. do we need to be concerned about the safety of our food for mm-hmm. this? And, and the answer is no. We, we absolutely do not. Um, yeah. And so I think that's, that's a message we definitely want to – to share with folks, and of course, the thing is, in, in a processing plant, a packing plant, if you if you want to call them that, uh, USDA maintains a very high standard uh, that uh, makes makes sure that the the, the carcasses, the, the animals themselves, the mm-hmm. carcasses, yeah. the processed uh, boxed uh, pork, boxed beef, uh, is, is has very very stringent standards that they they must adhere to. Yeah, and, and every yeah. plant in the country, you know, every plant in the country shuts down for a period of time every day, whatever time frame it takes for them to clean that facility. Right. So if you can if you can run uh, basically two eight-hour shifts and clean the plant in eight hours otherwise, great. You can run two eight-hour shifts and take eight to clean the plant. But you don't get to start the first shift of the day until that USDA inspector has gone through the plant and deemed that it's clean and ready for you to start. Mm-hmm. And that happens every day. That That's not a function of we're dealing with coronavirus. That's a function of food safety every single day and the attention to detail that we put into making sure we have the safest food supply in the world. That's right. Okay. Uh, through all this, we want to make sure that consumers understand we have the safest food supply in the world, and we have an abundant food supply. Mm-hmm. We've got some challenges to, to redirect, if you will, and, and some flexibility issues in terms of making sure we get food. And we'll get we to that. Food. Yeah. yeah, we have food. Yeah. Okay. Talking with us today, Michael Kelsey, Oklahoma Cattleman, Roy Lee Lindsay with OK Pork. And we are on the road to rural prosperity. Our uh, lead sponsor today, Bank First. They, uh, they care about Oklahoma a great deal, and uh, they're one of our supporters here on the Road to Rural Prosperity. We're going to continue our conversation today with uh, Roy Lee and with Michael here in just a few moments. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs 
for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. Welcome back to the Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. We are uh, talking today about where we are in this very unique time in American history. This is going to be, boy, this is going to be fascinating to see what the uh, history books uh, kind of chronicle. You know, we go back yeah. 10, 12 years down the road and they look back at this thing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, how we were, how I guess our, our government, how our industries are, are judged and how things, uh, how our people are judged for that matter as well. But I, I thought we might talk, guys, about the, the pipeline in other words maybe not so much the at the animal the animals down to the consumer uh let you know wh- where are we uh i know that e- each of the you know pork and beef have got a lot of similarities but there are some differences too really let's, let's start with you so when as we think about how how product moves through the food chain if you will um we basically have two markets for our product. We, we sell a lot of, uh, about 75% of the pork that we produce in this country goes into retail, stuff you'd buy at the grocery store. About 25% of that product goes into restaurants, institutions. We refer to that as food service, but you think of your colleges, your universities, hotel chains, restaurants that you see everywhere. That's about 25% of our product. And for us, so what you saw here in, in when you turned off the restaurants uh, five weeks ago in Oklahoma and in other parts of the country before that even, you basically took 25% of our demand and says, we don't have product that goes there. We don't have a way to sell the product we've allocated for that. And what we see is that we, we prepare different products for sale into food service, into restaurants, than we do into retail. And we package those products differently. So when you go to your grocery store today and you reach in the meat case and you pull out that case-ready product, we call it case-ready, but it's that foam tray and it's got the full color wrap on it that's got all the labeling Mm -hmm. printed on it and everything else, we talk about that as case-ready because what arrives at the grocery store is a big box of those one-pound packages. And they pull them out and put them in the meat case. What we send to food service tends to be larger quantities of loose packaged product. So a 10-pound box that would go to retail would have 10 one-pound packages of pork chops in it. The pork chops that we sell to food service most likely might be in in a 10-pound box, but they're going to be in a 10-pound box and there's going to be 25 of them in that 10-pound box that are loose. Mm -hmm. They've got wax paper or something separating them, but they don't have individual packaging. And they don't have the labeling that's required by USDA and FDA to go to retail to be sold at retail. So when when we start talking about how we divide up product, we naturally have built our, our harvest facilities and our processing facilities to direct 25% of our product into food service, 75 into retail, and that's how the packaging's set up, that's how the cuts are made, that's how all that's done, and now you take 25% of our market away, and what do we do with that product? Um, 70% of our pork bellies go into restaurants and food service, and that's where we get bacon. So bacon's carried our carcass value for years, and we went from 95 cents a pound on on pork bellies March 1, really, to about 35 cents a pound this week. So just tremendous Mm -hmm. impact on us because there's no demand there. And it's similar, I I think, in the beef industry. Yeah, it'd be similar, but uh, maybe even a little more dramatic because uh, before this hit, if you will, about over 50% of beef went to uh, food service and compared to retail. 
And then also, so so we had to redirect that, if you will, over to retail, and you had a huge demand in retail. Then the other thing to consider in beef is, as well, is is the different cuts and pieces. Producers sell one thing. We sell a four-legged critter that moves and chews its cud. Consumers don't buy that. Consumers buy sirloin steaks and ground beef and brisket and ribs, and there's over a thousand different pieces and parts, if you will, that a consumer would buy. There, there are steakhouses, no, no offense to my f- other animal protein friends, but there are not chicken houses. There are steakhouses. I won't go to pork, okay, really? <laughs> but what I mean by that is, is we tr- sell a tremendous amount of our steaks into food service, into restaurants. Mm-hmm. That was shut off, if you will. So 54% now down to 8% is our best guesstimate. Those steaks, the value of those steaks just plummeted. We ride, uh, if you will, we have ridden the value of the carcass is the middle meats, the ribeyes, the, the filet, the, the loin, etc. When that value plummets, obviously we're going to see a vet. What overtook that then, though, was ground beef into the retail market, which the demand for that just shot through the roof. But we had to shift that production. Similarly, what Roy Lee described in pork, from food service to retail, we had to do the same for beef. Uh, and, and that's a challenge. The, the plants aren't structured to do that in that, that incredible shift that quick, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. And so uh, when you have that much of your product that goes through restaurant or food service, now is basically shut off and needs to, to go somewhere. Uh, that the, the, And retail demand climbs, uh, but it's a different demand. It, again, it's not, we're not selling ribeyes and, and fillets. We are, but we're not selling them at the value that we need to sell them in order to mm-hmm. justify uh, the the cost or the justify the overall uh, cost of the carcass. What, what were those numbers that Dr. Peel gave us? The eighty twenty rule yesterday. Yeah, that, so eighty twenty. It's it's kind of the eighty twenty percent rule that eighty percent of the carcass uh, brings you twenty percent of the value. Uh, if you will, uh, the the ends, the the roast, the right. ends of the carcass, right. and we ride the middle. The twenty percent in the middle gives us eighty percent of the value. Again, this was before the coronavirus, if you will. Now we shift and sh- and and uh, wow, then we got a mass. Plus, you throw in the export market. About ten percent of our product, maybe twelve, was or our value was export. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm no more so in the in the pork industry. And we've seen some effect on that because this isn't just a United States issue. This is a global pandemic. And of course, and we so, got the problems of being able to get it out out of our ports. That's too. right to ship it. You know, and and we've got those challenges. And so uh, we're not able to export the value that we would like to or we would we would want to to justify that more. So so in the pork industry because y'all export more than we do we moved about 30 percent of our product overseas in february mm-hmm. um and all of that you know as we as we sit and look at this we're still seeing good export demand but remember this is not a problem just in the united states mm-hmm. right. this is a global pandemic and so i saw a, a a friend of mine sent me a story out of the Wall Street Journal today. At least I think it's the Wall Street Journal because he reads it every day and sends me stuff. But <laughs> said that in France, they're taking workers from other industries and sending them to farms to work because in the European Union, they've stopped allowing movement of people. They used labor, kind of like we mm-hmm. use migrant labor in, in places to help with harvesting fruits and vegetables <coughs> and to work in, in plants and different things. Um, they've limited movement of people, so they don't have anybody to pick 
uh, fruits and vegetables. And so they're literally, here's a young lady who just had gone to training and to be a flight attendant, and she's now getting up every morning and going to the farm and picking vegetables. And she's like, this is not what I signed up for. But, but that's what, so this is happening to us all around the world. Yeah. So the demand for high-end meats that we would sell into restaurant use all around the globe is, is depressed everywhere because the entire globe is, is trying to restrict what we're seeing. Um, we saw China shut down most of, I mean, all of Wuhan province and most of uh, a, a huge mm-hmm. portion of its economy to try to contain the spread of the virus when they were dealing with it January, you know, December, January timeframe. Well, that meant there wasn't anybody to unload product when we sent it to them at the port. That meant there was not the demand for product in China because we -hmm. we couldn't get it to them in any way. Um, Mexico, Mexico City's on shutdown as well, if you will. And so demand for product that we'd normally send to Mexico is also being reduced. So the the issues of this are, are impacting us all around the globe. And as we as we talked about product moving through the system, it's not as easy as just repackaging product. Mm-hmm. It's not as easy as just saying, "Hey, make more hamburger." You could grind more burger, but you got to have a way to put it into the one pound packages or the two pound right. packages right. that you get at the store. And and our systems are built with when when the product reaches the end of this line, the machine automatically packages it to go into this setting. And you can't just buy another one of those machines off the shelf. And even if you did, you can't just install it in the processing facility. And if you do, when we return to normal, and we're going to return to normal somewhere down the road, Mm -hmm. now I've got an extra piece of machinery here that has limited value because we're not going to be in this same boat again. So it's not as simple as just saying, well, send me that product and I'll sell it at the grocery store versus where we were. Um, the other thing that folks have seen, and, and when you go to the meat case and you look around and you see that, hey, there's an empty spot in the meat case, th- there's lots of product available, okay? We've got lots of animals. We probably have more hogs. Than we, we have more hogs than we have capacity for today, partly mm-hmm. because we've got some plants shut down, but we were right up close to the top of our overall harvest capacity. Um, and as we look at this, what happened, we saw retail pork sales about four weeks ago, three or four weeks ago now, were 100% above what they were a year prior. And I'm talking about all pork sales at retail. Right. Um, the week before, they were up 80, 78%. The next week, they were the week following, they were up 40%. So for, for basically the last four weeks, we're up something like 50 to 60% in retail sales versus what we were a year ago. Well, we don't have – our whole system is built on just-in-time delivery. Mm-hmm. We deliver pigs to the plant on the day they're supposed to go to the plant, and those animals end up at the grocery distribution center two days later or three days later, and the distribution center gets them to the grocery store the day you're going to buy them. And, and the whole system's built that if anything goes wrong – think about taking a broomstick and sticking it in the spokes on the front wheel on your bicycle – when something goes wrong in that delivery system, you go head over heels, and that's kind of what we've done here. There's lots of product out there. Mm-hmm. We just got to refill the distribution centers. We've got to refill the supermarkets, and we've got to get that chain 
put back together because we really smashed it with all of that enhanced demand at retail that we just hadn't prepared for. Right. Now, one, one thing we haven't talked about yet, when I wanted to talk about at least a little, uh, it really very, very serious, the, uh, the manpower within these plants and the fact that we, uh, and that's meant uh, we're well under a year ago on the number of animals we're actually processing because of these plants, beef and pork down. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we're, and that's a very serious threat. And I know we've spent a lot of time talking about that. And, and I know there's a lot of cattlemen that, I mean, we have a love-hate relationship with our packers. Um, there are no packer members in Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, but we've, we have to have a packing industry in order to get our product to, to uh, consumers. Now, we're looking at ways that we can, and we're helping members who want to look at ways to direct sale to consumers and so forth. They still have to have a packer in order to do that. It's a smaller one, obviously, and we're blessed that we do have some of those in Oklahoma. Not very many, but a few. Uh, but, uh, but overall, when we're delivering beef to New York City, to San Francisco, to so forth, we've got to have a, a healthy packing industry. And what I mean by helping is, is a working one one that's functioning and working and and the labor issues that they're experiencing are, are are very serious and we've seen plants not only shut down in the Greeley plant the jbs plant in Greeley, um the the local entity the mayor did more damage to shutting that forgive me for saying damage but that's what happened more damage to shutting that plant down than anybody else uh and and we've seen other plants that have shuttered to one shift mm-hmm. thankfully they've been able to do that but again they're thinking about their their labor it, that's that they're not talking about the price of cattle as to why they're not working or not they're talking about their labor and so why are we as a cattlemen's association as a pork industry i assume too why are you so involved why are we still talking about this so importantly is because as if we don't have that packing capacity um what are we going to do with these cattle um we can Roy Lee, you talked about the the pork chain and how it's uh, uh, so 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 uh, so efficient. If you'll let me use that word, the cattle industry is very similar to that. Now we can we can back up a little bit, probably easier than the uh, than our two competing proteins in pork and poultry, uh, but it still backs us up. And you mm-hmm. can't go out to a pen of steers and cattlemen know this, but most consumers don't. You can't go out to a pen of steers and say, "Okay, boys, we can't take you today, so stop growing right where you're at." <laughs> You know, don't get any bigger. I want to see that conversation. (laughs) You know, know, don't eat anything. Don't cost me any money today because I can't take you till two weeks. No, Mm -hmm. I still have to feed them. You know, I've got I've got an uncle who's got a pen of a thousand steers and they were to go May 1st. And the Packers told him he might be able to take a middle of July. You know, that's a real problem that he has and he's got to keep feeding those cattle and those cattle are going to continue to grow and and so the challenge that we see coming is if we if we if we slow the packing side of things down enough we're going to get more and more beef and those cattle have to come to town somewhere sometime uh and and there's cattle coming behind them uh, you know, and we've, we've got calves all over the country right now in Oklahoma, baby calves, and it's because it's calving season or actually about a month past uh, uh, the heat of calving season, and it's awesome. But, boy, those calves are coming to town, and, and when they do, they'll bring their beef with them, if you will, and if we're backed up. Mm-hmm. So my, my whole point in sharing that is is we've got to keep these plants open so that we can keep this product flowing through, keep it in front of consumers so that we can keep our industry viable in, in that sense. So when, when we think about, and as you talk about that, so for some perspective, the, the hogs that are showing up at, at harvest facilities today, were, we bred those sows 10 months ago. 
So if you're talking about cattle that are showing up at harvest facilities, what are we, 26, yeah, 20? Almost 20, two and a half years. So almost 30 months. Almost 30 years. So how 30 is, months. 30 how months. How in I'm the sorry, world? I mean, so when you think about this and you go, well, why didn't we plan? Well, there was nothing on the horizon 10 months ago that told us yeah. we were going to run into this kind of challenge. There was nothing on the, certainly not 30 months. two and a half years ago yeah. that told you that you'd be this spot on, on the cattle side. So that's why it's so difficult for livestock producers in general to accommodate these kinds of shocks to processing capacity because the fire at Holcomb last summer was the same kind of notion. You take out a percentage of, of your ability to, About to 6% process. About 6% that plant. Uh, you take out your ability to process the animals. Well, the decision to have the animals was made two and a half years ago, or, mm-hmm. or actually, it's longer than that if you think about what gestation time on your that's right on your cows. Um, we're, we're talking about the decisions we're making about how much pork we're going to have today mm-hmm. were made ten months ago. Mm-hmm. So there's no ability to adjust that along the way. You know, gestation time on a sow we're three months, three weeks, three days. We mm-hmm. we wean them in about twenty one to twenty four days. They spend eight weeks in the nursery, and then they go to a finisher, and and here we've got product. Mm-hmm. And the whole system's built on a, a schedule of they move from this farm to this farm on this day, and from that farm to the processor on that day. And I can almost tell you to the day. When I breed this sow today, I can almost tell you to the day what day we'll market her hogs, what ho- what farm they're going to come from, and what plant they're going to go to. Right. We certainly can here in Oklahoma. Right. And, of course, case of Oklahoma, we've kind of transitioned some to more of a, a mama, mama sow, the, the, the sow and her baby pigs, and we're yep. shipping those baby pigs to where the corn is traditionally. Uh, so, but there, that, that's again, it's a just-in-time part of the process. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and so as we look at, as we said here today, we've got uh, two major uh, hog processing plants that are offline. We added one back yesterday, came back yesterday, and is ramping back up. Should be at full speed again today. But we've got roughly eight percent of our harvest capacities offline right now. Uh, we're hopeful that next week we'll get the Sioux Falls plant back online. It was announced it was closed indefinitely. Typically, these have been about two weeks. Two weeks. And so we're hopeful that we would get that plant back up next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time you close one, you just back up those hogs somewhere. And because we've always got more coming behind them, we, we don't have the ability uh, to just leave them on the pasture a little longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know it still costs money and, and that there's, right. a, there's a cost to that, but we simply don't have that ability. So what do we do with hogs when we don't have a place for them to go when they reach 280 pounds? And our facilities are built for full access feed. So we've got a big feed bin in the middle and it fills up with feed every day and the hogs eat as they want. So even if I want to hold them at this weight, I want to give them a holding ration instead of something to help them grow, I can't keep Ron from eating Michael's share because the pigs are just loose in the pen. I mean, I, they're going to go, and, and those that are not as aggressive will get less feed. Those that are more aggressive will get more. And, and so you, you still can't control them real well because of the way we raise hogs. So. Right. Let, let, let's uh, maybe shift gears one more time and uh, back to our producers, uh, cattle producers, mm-hmm. a lot of economic loss. I know the hog industry's had a tremendous amount of economic loss as well. Where are we as far as, uh, in, in the case of our Oklahoma industry uh, segments, our, our hog industry, our, our cattle industry, what kind of shape are we in right now? Yeah, the uh, Dr. Peel did an awesome study. NCBA commissioned him to do an excellent study on the cattle industry. 
uh, here recently, and I think it was last week when he released that, $13.6 billion in, in That's total cattle loss. That's not Oklahoma only. That's, that's total cattle loss. Uh, if we if we bring that down to Oklahoma, working with him yesterday, it's probably close to six hundred million, uh, maybe just a shade less than that. Five, I think he told me five hundred and eighty, but that that's still very. That was just through April, the first of exactly. April. Exactly, that's just through the first of April. So if we if we go further, that's why I'm kind of stretching it, if you will, to to six hundred million. And that's the cow calf producer's been been the hardest hit in terms of value right now. Uh, but they hold those cattle longer than anybody else in terms of, of value and time. And then, but our stockers have been just devastated uh, because many of those guys were and gals were bringing those cattle off wheat pasture here in March, and if they grazed out, and that was post uh, such dramatic hit to the market itself. So, our feeders, um, you know, if you used some risk management, uh, if you hedged your cattle and so forth, you were probably in pretty decent shape. Could have been. The only way you were making money though was off the hedge, not off the cattle at all. And and so uh, I've talked to some folks who, who 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 did okay, but if you hadn't didn't have those cattle hedged, it's just such dramatic losses. And so um, really really difficult, really difficult time. And again. If we're if we're projecting out, kind of looking out, uh, you know, pretty quick it's it's going to be if you're spring calver, it's time to turn the bulls out, and or or AI if if you're using that, and so but and those decisions are being made now for calves that will come to market next September, not this September, next September will be born, you know, this this next spring to come to in 2021 September, mm-hmm. and those are just weaned, and so well, how many cows do I keep? Do I if I'm losing two hundred dollars a cow, can't make it up in volume, can you? I just can't. Yeah. <laughs> and so do I. So do I. Is it is it a culling process? Do I need to you know really downsize my herd? Uh, those are decisions that that individuals are going to have to make in a very depressed market, mm-hmm. uh, which are difficult difficult decisions in amongst themselves. Just period. Never mind in the fact of a of a difficult market, and then pr- trying to project what future beef demand will be. Uh, you know, we don't know. We'd, we'd like to think we'll go back to normal. And I'm like Roy Lee. I think once the restaurants are open, people are just going to flood the rest because we don't want to get out. That's going to cause a shock to the system to try to rearrange. But, you know, will that sustain itself? Will that be somewhat temporary? Will it be a wave? Will I mean, it be, will a it be wave? kind I mean, of a wave yeah. and you get a, big, you get a big wash up and then it, um, and then it, and it settles back, back down? Or, um, you know, I don't know. We don't know. And so it's hard to make those decisions. Yeah, as we look at the pork industry, uh, Dr. Steve Meyer with Kearns and Associates and Dermot Hayes at, at Iowa State, um, they're estimating that on a on a uh, basis right now, this was a week ago, about thirty seven dollars a head is being lost in the pork industry, and so when you when you annualize that over how many hogs we produce in a given year, it's about five billion dollars in the pork industry across the country. Uh, we produce a little over eight million pigs here in Oklahoma. So if you look at thirty-seven bucks a head on eight million pigs in Oklahoma, uh, you're talking about three hundred million dollars that that hog producers in Oklahoma are going to be short in, in terms of where that is. And so uh, as we as we look down the road, um, we've got uh, USDA announced last week their their CFAP program to help provide some support for agriculture. Uh, we appreciate the things they're doing, 
I'm just not sure that it's enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure that the uh, – and I'll give you some example. In Oklahoma, we use a lot of contract growers in the in the pork industry where uh, Company A owns the pigs and, and the local landowner built the barn, and he takes care of the pigs every day, and he gets paid on a per-pig basis as, as he weans pigs and sends them on. Well, uh, because number B here, the, the local guy here, didn't own the pigs, he doesn't qualify for any support out of the government. And because Company A has six of these guys that raise hogs for him, he now he's only eligible for $125,000 because of payment limits. That $125,000 doesn't come anywhere close to keeping him whole mm-hmm. for what he's losing. Right. And so in a lot of places, uh, folks are going to say, well, I'm just not going to place we're not seeing it as much in Oklahoma because we don't finish hogs, but in the Midwest where they finish a lot of hogs, um, I'm just not going to put hogs in your barn this year, Michael. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't, I can't afford to feed them. They're not worth anything. Um, I can't pay to, I can't pay to feed them. So we're just not going to put them in your barn. And oh, by the way, since I don't, I, I don't have any help, I can't get enough support out of the the federal program here. I don't have any way to pay you the rent that I owe you on your barn either. And, and that's going to be a significant challenge for us going forward. As we look down the road, we desperately need Congress to go back and look at this program and, and figure out how to get us some help. Um, if you've got two commodities in the mix, you're, you're, you know, whatever your total is, you two, three, four, whatever commodities you might qualify for, your top cap is $250,000. And if you're, if you're the stalker guy who's running 1,000 stalker calves and you're losing 160 bucks a head on them, you're already over the $125,000 exactly. limit that you had for cattle. And that doesn't include what your wheat's done or what your corn right. or your sorghum or whatever else you might have. Right. And you're going to butt up against those limits real quick. And I know those limits sound like a lot of money. But when you put them into the practicality of what it costs to raise food today, mm-hmm. what it costs the average producer to be able to support his family, to be able to make his bills, to pay his employees, whatever that may be, they're very, those numbers are really small. Mm-hmm. And, and they don't right. do what needs to be done in terms of, of covering and helping keep people in business. And that's right. my fear is that we're going to see a lot of folks in agriculture really struggle here over the next over the next six months. You know, any of the equity that they were able to build up uh, over the past 10 years or so is, is just going to be eroded and, and gone, and mm-hmm. it's going to take another 20 years. <clears throat> and that's provided that we don't see another issue. If you go north of us up into to, to Kansas, Nebraska, and up in the Dakotas, you know, last year they had a tremendous amount of flooding that to, from a cattle industry just devastated um, the Nebraska uh, areas as a whole and I know that because of my family and, and so forth that live up there but uh, now we have this issue you know they're looking at at two year 200 year events if you will right in a row and and we had if you come down to Oklahoma we had some flooding in the eastern part of the state that just devastated some crop row producers some cattle producers etc now we've got the market we've eroded all the equity that we had in in our farms, if you will, and and now we just can't withstand. If we are able to withstand this, God forbid we have another issue next year. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're just set up to where this could be to be really bad. And 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 Roy Lee's right on those limits. That sounds like a lot of dollars. It takes a tremendous amount. And I know you know this, Ron, and most of anybody involved in agriculture knows this. But we need consumers to know that it takes a tremendous amount of capital to raise food. It just does, right. and and there's a tremendous amount of investment, and so a uh, hundred, you know, a thousand stockers is not that many. 
it's really not that sounds like a huge number of cattle that's a lot of cattle that's not very many for a family operation in fact that's really pretty small to be to be right honest with you if you look at the average uh in terms of you know 20 25 cows might be the average herd size uh, mama cows but uh, a sustainable operation if you will is a 400 cow operation uh that's and that's minimum uh, so, you know, 250 to 400 cows is, is a good family size operation. 125,000 just won't, it won't cover it. And sustainable in this, sustainable in this, in this context means that I can keep the business running. That, that's exactly uh, what I mean, I mean. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, we, we didn't, we haven't been talking about sustainability and those kinds right. of things, but, but in this perspective, one of the key components of any definition, when you talk about sustainability has to be that the business survives. Right. And, and that's what we're talking what we're about talking here about. when we say sustainable. Right. So you guys both represent human beings. You, you, you've got real folks, families operating in both the hog industry, the cattle industry, there's mental stress too. Let's talk about that. Oh, wow. Yeah. When, yeah. um, I, we did a conference call with our, with our board last week and you can just, you can just feel it. And, and mm-hmm. Michael mentioned earlier that he did a conference call with his group because we can't physically get together. And that's what my board wanted to do was, Hey, let's have an update. Here's what's going on. But you can feel the tension and you can, you can hear it in their voices and, and you know that it's there. Um, so part of, part of our job and part of, uh, as I see it, and, I, and I, I'm certain Michael shares this view with me, part of our job is to, I don't want to say be a cheerleader because we wouldn't be very good looking cheerleaders, but <laughs> to, to kind of remind them that what they are doing is essential, that it is mm-hmm. imperative. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a, a past president of the port council one day, we were, we were driving across the panhandle and he was talking to a, a news reporter and he said, you know, we're out here feeding the world and that used to be a noble profession. And I'm here telling my folks every day, it's still a noble profession. Mm -hmm. And there are folks in this country that are hungry. There are folks around the world that are hungry. And our folks get up every day and go to work on the farm to make sure we're doing our part to fill that need. And uh, we're trying to make sure they understand if they if they need help, uh, there are mental health resources available. uh, And we hope folks will take will take advantage of those. Ask somebody for help if if you feel that stress. Don't just try to bear it on your own. Mm-hmm. Find somebody you can commiserate with a little bit. Um, I, I spend uh, about an hour a day probably on the phone with my peers in other states talking about what they're seeing in their members, what are they experiencing, what's happening. And it's a great way for us to kind of share. We're sharing this burden, if you will, and I yeah. think that's helpful for all of us. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and sometimes you also have to just stop and, and, and really count your blessings. Uh, and we really are blessed. I know it's tough. It is really tough. And, and unfortunately, there's going to be some folks that do go out of business. I'm just trying to be real. I hate that. And we're going to do everything we can to try to prevent that. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we have to be real. But at the same time, part of being real is is we, we, we really are blessed. And so take an opportunity to, to count some blessings. There's the, um, you know, associations are working hard. Uh, the Oklahoma Ag uh, Mediation Program is a great resource. If, uh, you know, Mike does a, a super job over there. If you, if, you're, if you find yourself in a position where you're talking to your lender and, and things are really tough, reach out to OAMP and, and, and bring in some mediation. They're there to help. They're there to help. And, and Roy Lee's right. You know, we need to, we're, we're at this point of social distancing. We've social distanced in agriculture forever. Uh, but uh, get on the phone, talk to your neighbors, tell somebody. If, if, it's, if, if you're doing, if, if you're having those thoughts, if you will, and we know what we're talking about here, 
then then share that with somebody. Talk to somebody. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your friends because that's not what we want to see in in this industry and ever. But we know that the tension is is high right now, and it's mm-hmm. and it's tough. Its emotions are very high uh, because we're so passionate about what we do. This isn't just a business for us. Mm-hmm. This is a livelihood. This is how we're raising our kids. It's an avocation. It's an I, I, one. I tell you what, Ron. One of the most encouraging things that I've seen lately is, and you see a lot of this on Facebook is a lot of, and, and I'll just speak to the cattle industry. But a lot of of uh, folks on the on the in the cattle industry on Facebook and so forth, they're posting videos of their kids riding the tractor with them uh, going out to work cattle with him which they normally couldn't do because they were in school Mm -hmm. right you know they'd had to load up on the school bus and go to school but now they're and they're so they're taking advantage of an opportunity to be with their kids that's a blessing that's a blessing i know it's tough financially i know it and it's terrible but that's a blessing in its end so so we're trying to focus on those types of things at this point in time and not shirk off the bad stuff we we've got to focus on that we've got to work on that but uh, but also an opportunity to just take stock in 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 what our blessings are and and uh, and then reach out if we if we find ourselves in in trouble individually and you know mm-hmm. better you know and I'll talk to to ranchers personally right now you know yourself better than anybody else uh, and and if you're in a position where you're not feeling well mentally physically reach out talk to somebody please talk to somebody uh, because there's a lot of assistance out there there's if nothing else there's just a an ear to listen and and to mm-hmm. to help right. and encourage that's uh, that's what we really need to do because this is serious this is very very serious right now okay gentlemen thank you so much for your time today thank uh, you ron we, thank we, you ron we, yeah. we appreciate the opportunity to talk with you um any any final word from either one of you I, I I want to end this way. I, I I feel like we ended it, or I did ended a little negative, and I apologize for that. But I I tell you what, if you think about it, the road to rural prosperity in Oklahoma, in my opinion, is is heavily centric on animals. Uh, we have an opportunity in Oklahoma, and from a rural perspective, to feed the world from an animal protein standpoint. I truly believe that. Uh, we're really good at cattle production. We're really good at pork production. Uh, we're even pretty good at poultry in, in certain areas of the state. And and if you want to talk about rural, that's a great opportunity for us. We're going to come out of this. Uh, life will go back to normal, whatever that is. But people are still going to need food, and they love our product. Our product is healthy. It's it's nourishing. It's safe. And it's good and it's enjoyable, um, whether you're talking about beef or pork or poultry. And we have an opportunity to do that in Oklahoma, just about probably as good, if not better than anybody else in the country and certainly in the world. And so I think there is prosperity ahead for us. I think there's opportunity ahead for us in rural Oklahoma to raise a great product, an animal protein product. And I think that's where our prosperity can be. You know, there's nobody anywhere that has greater faith than the guy who breeds a cow today and and realizes that it's going to be 36 months before he sees any real value out of that calf. Uh, when we breed a sow today, it's going to be 10 months before those hogs go to market, and, and we see that. When a guy plants his wheat in September, it's going to be May or June before he sees any value out of that. That takes real faith. Amen. And, and our agricultural community, not just here in Oklahoma, but across the country, demonstrates that every day when they when they put the corn in the ground or the cotton in the ground or the wheat in the ground or, or go out and feed those cows that are nursing baby calves or whatever it may be. 
And that faith has seen us through to this point. It will see us through wherever else we need to get to. And I agree with Michael. There, there is prosperity out there, and our folks work hard every day to add that to the rural economy here in, here in Oklahoma. Okay. Really? Michael, thank you so much for your time. Roy Lee Lindsay, Oklahoma Pork, Michael Kelsey, Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, and I'm Ron Hayes on the Road to Rural Prosperity. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and oklahomafarmreport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the funk companies. <laughs>